0: Will you turn with me to Ephesians 3, and I'll begin reading at verse 7, but first let me pray before I read. Father in heaven, pray for your help as we look into this text, and I do pray for your grace upon this people, that uh, here at Christ Redeemer, we might be a people who treasure Christ together, who who speak of the unsearchable riches of Christ in our conversations with one another and in our conversations with those who do not yet know you. So so help us by this text to, to um, see you and to see your glories in the face of Christ and speak about what we see. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen well it 's good to be here. I think this is my third time here, I mean up here and uh, it 's just always good to to be with you. Uh, we think very highly of your church. We pray for your church regularly. Uh, we think very highly of of Thomas and Brett and their wives and uh, by the way, Levi and Ashley did a terrific job leading worship for us i don 't know where you went, but but uh, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, it 's just good to be here. Uh, my wife Kathy is in the front row there and uh, Again, it's just good to be here. Um well, I, I really prayed what I what I wanted to, to to say as far as my aim. My aim really is to 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 mobilize us to see the the beauties of the grace of God to us in the gospel in Christ, and to by seeing, speak of the gospel not only to ourselves you know realize the gospel realities for ourselves but speak it to other people believers and unbelievers really that that's where i'm i'm trying to go and um you know think about it how did the gospel of christ come to you well it came from through a person right uh and and this is god's design uh through the centuries that you know you think about you know we do genealogies but think about your gospel family tree it would be this person spoke to this person and this person spoke to this person and this, you know on and on and on and, and, and it's it's quite amazing and so really what i'm calling you into is this this work of god this design of god in gospel telling that the, the, the tree that the family of god that the church might grow in the same way that uh, in which you were included into the grace of God, by, by hearing of the gospel. And you know, there's several texts that I have in mind. Uh, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, so that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. First uh, Peter 2, 9 and 10. Or Romans 10, um, 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So what I want you to do is embrace this this God-designed plan of gospel-telling one to another by which the world is evangelized and the church is built up. It's not just for preachers. It's not just for apostles. It's not just for whatever. It's for for all of us as Christians. So now, um, what I want to do from this text is... See that I'm going to just map it out into two halves. There's, there's a whole lot more here. I'm just going to highlight two things. Paul sees himself as a, as a minister with a message. So we're going to look at, at uh, how does he see himself as a minister of the gospel, and how does he uh, define the message of the gospel? So those, those will be the two big headers that, that I'll uh, approach this text under. So first of all, just number one: what is a minister of the gospel? Paul sees himself as a minister of the gospel. And, uh, you know, I just realized right now, I didn't even read the text. I'm so used to having it read for us before we get up. Hey, would you turn with me? I already did that. Uh, Ephesians 3, 7. Let's read the text, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Maybe what I've done is given you eyes to map minister and message. Ephesians 3, 7. Of this gospel, Paul says... What is this minister of the gospel that he, he's talking about in verse 7? Minister. If, if you, I always think of click on the word. If you click on that word, what does that word mean? It means, uh, it's, it's the word from which we get the word deacon. It can be translated uh, servant. And, uh, you know, think about, it doesn't mean like minister with a big collar and, you know. It doesn't mean that. It means, it means servant. Uh, waiter is a good translation. A, a, I'm a waiter of the gospel. I, I'm like a, a, a waiter or a waitress in a restaurant. My job is to serve up the gospel. I mean, there's, there's nothing proud about it. And, uh, you know, I think about the, the common stereotype of Christians today, which is probably a bit overblown, but all stereotypes are, um, that we're a, we're a proud people. We are proud, we are accused of being proud and arrogant. And I'm saying, you know, Paul's whole mindset is no, no, no. I am a, a waiter, a servant, a slave of the gospel, and my job is to serve it up to you in this humble role. I mean, he even sees himself here uh, as the very least of all the saints. Verse 8. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he calls himself the least of the apostles. And, and in 1 Timothy 1.15, he sees himself as the, the chief of sinners. You know, so, so, so I, I mentioned that just, may, may it not be said of us accurately that we are a proud and arrogant people. We, we are humble servants of this message, which is great and grand and beautiful. But may we not come off as great and grand and beautiful and contradict steal the glory from our message. You know, Paul is just humble. I'm a servant of the gospel. And yet, you know, Paul carries around this confidence that comes as a servant of the gospel. Uh, with all boldness, he, he speaks. And and uh, you know, here he's in prison in the, in the writing of this text. And you, know, you think about how How in the world did Paul, you know, when he was, he'd go into a town and he'd get opposed, persecuted, stoned, dragged out, half dead. And then with all humility, as a servant, shake the dust off, bandage up his wounds, and go back in. So he's he's got this bold humility that, oh, how I want for myself and, and for the church. That's his role as a minister of the gospel. His humble slash bold carrying of the gospel to others. And uh, as I said, this is our calling as well. As God's chosen people, that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the way the gospel spreads from people to people, generation to generation, by Gospel telling of the message. So now, part two. Now, what's the message of the gospel? I, my jaw dropped when I read this here in verse eight because it goes against some of our, what's a word, trite packaging of the gospel. I mean, so, so here, Paul's going to tell us. He's going to give us a synonym of what he thinks of when he thinks of the gospel. To me, this is verse 8, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles what? The unsearchable riches of Christ. Wow! The telling of the gospel is to be the the proclaiming, the preaching, the telling of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, I, I just taught a, a class on the gospel. In fact, Thomas came and, and helped me teach it. And uh, I started the class by saying, some of you seminary students speak the gospel in ways that bore Christians and, are, and, and in ways that are totally unintelligible to unbelievers. That, that ought not be. The unsearchable riches of Christ does not sound boring to me at all. I mean, it might sound incomprehensible, but not in the sense that you can't understand any of it. More like, yeah, I'll get to that. But uh, what does that mean? I mean, it goes against the thought like, okay, I have a relationship with an unbeliever who's a friend. I really care about him or a family member and... And in the course of conversation, I'm just looking for a chance to pull my tract out. You know, like, you know, um, I just, here, read this. I'll be in the next room, okay? Like, it's just not that. No, no. The unsearchable riches of Christ. What does that word mean? Unsearchable means beyond tracing out, beyond understanding, unfathomable. Uh, impossible to comprehend it's the same word used in Romans 11 to describe to describe God's wisdom and knowledge God's wisdom and knowledge is unsearchable the point is and you can't understand true things about God's wisdom and knowledge but it's that you're never going to get to the end of it I thought about uh, I'm not exactly sure why I've been reading for the past two or three or four years books about polar explorations. You know, I, I don't, I just I check them out of the library, and I find them fascinating, the, the adventure and the risk. And so, uh, so, so the, the time period is late 1800s, early 1900s, and, and there's a sense that, you know, the, the globe needs to be explored. We need to we need to comprehend this incomprehensible thing that we're living on called the globe and and up in the in the polar cap there we don't understand it's not mapped well so these explorers go up there and there's this common understanding that well they packed their swimming suits several of them because there was a common understanding that when you get to the top it's gonna to be really warm There's going to be really nice warm beaches there. It's going to be great, you know. So they're freezing their toes off, you know, to get there, and it's not turning out to be the way that they thought. But here's my point. It's just just that, that there's a, I think this is really cool. It feeds science, it feeds math, it feeds all kinds of things. This human quest, this human thirst to understand. You know, we want to understand, you know, there's podcasts, How Stuff Works. And, and I really want to call you into this, into this life of mining the unsearchable riches of Christ. You don't have it in your pocket. You don't have it all packaged up and figured out. In fact, there's, uh, there's some, some reflection, some church historians who are reflecting on the American church ...in the uh, 20th century as being influenced so much by the fast food McDonald's uh, movement that came out of California... ...that it's evangelistic movement in style came out of California as well in the fast food style. And I think we're in a season of re- reacting against that. I mean, just the fact that your mission is to be a gospel community... Not a gosh gospel track dropping people, but a community of people to come in and hear about the gospel and experience the gospel uh, and mine the unsearchable riches of Christ together and to tell one another what we see and experience of Christ's riches day in and day out. I just think it's a, it's a glorious phrase to describe the gospel. And it's a call. It's a mission. It's a, it's a Christian life to grow in grace and knowledge of God through Christ Jesus. And it's exciting. I mean, these guys were excited when they hopped on those boats and some of them wouldn't even come back. But our, ours is a, is a compelling, beautiful, God-glorifying, satisfying mission. well, there are some clues to this unsearchable riches of Christ in the Bible. Uh, where Paul uses these, these phrases, these rich phrases. Uh, I'll, I'll mention some of them to you. Uh, Ephesians one seven. Paul reminds us of God's rich forgiveness and grace. In him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. God has a rich grace that expresses itself in f- in, in lavish forgiveness upon us. Uh, 117, Ephesians 117, Paul points to a, a rich inheritance that's ours. Um, having the eyes of your... Just thinking, maybe I should read the whole thing here. First... first uh, Uh, Ephesians 117, uh, Paul prays that the eyes, excuse me, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened or open, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, uh, so he's, he's got a few pieces there. This, this rich inheritance, this hope that we've been called to, that we might see this, this, the glories of God in the gospel. He's just praying, Lord, open that up to us. Um, uh, another one, uh, Ephesians 2, 4. God being rich in mercy because of, his, because of the great love with which he's loved us. Think about God's mercy is rich. Rich. Not not miserly or stingy. There's a richness to God's mercy. And likewise, Ephesians 2, 7. The immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness. God's rich in His kindness toward us. And then uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Just to kind of put a cap on it. Paul's description of the gospel there is, well, what happens when you believe the gospel is God has given you grace to see the light of the Knowledge of God in the face of Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's what's happening. And so how much glory is there in God? Well, infinite. Well, what happens with the gospel is you have eyes to see the glory of God in Christ's face, which is an infinite glory. That's why he uses the, the phrase, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of the glory of Christ. That's our our calling as believers to worship this glorious Christ that's unsearchable. And that's our calling as gospel tellers to talk about that. Think about the the end of the prayer in Ephesians 3. um, That we might know the height and depth and breadth and length of the, the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. There it is again. Lord, help me to know the love, of Christ, which is, the love of Christ, which is beyond even knowing, totally. Yeah, so it's very encouraging to me. It was very encouraging to seminary students, and um, I'll tell you why in a second. Michael Reeves, in his little book called uh, Rejoicing in Christ, now has a caution for us. I can't tell you how many times we have spoken what we think is the gospel, what has really been our testimony, and we've been totally unaware that we've left out the gospel, and surprised when people don't come to faith. Let me explain. The the gospel is news. Right? That's what it means. Our gospel means news. The news is about what God is doing and has done in Christ. So when I speak my testimony and I say, I became a Christian at camp, And I, this is true, (laughs) I became a Christian at camp, and I I laid in my bunk, and the verses that I learned as a child really came alive for me, and I trusted in Christ, and and I began reading my Bible, and and following Jesus, and I feel like I've been growing ever since, and I got a call to ministry, and that's not the news. That's me. (laughs) That's just me. (laughs) You know, like, how come I told them my testimony they didn't become Christians? Here's an example of the news, and then I'll get to Michael Reeves' comment. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you, which is Christ the Lord. Feel the difference? Totally about what God is doing in Jesus. That's the news. It's not about what you need to do or what I need to do or what I have done or what you have done. It's about what God has done in sending Christ, in calling a people to himself. Now, Michael Reeves. He says, we naturally gravitate, it seems, toward anything but Jesus. And Christians almost as much as anyone, whether it's the Christian worldview or grace, or the Bible, or even the gospel, as if they were things in and of themselves that could save us. Even the cross can get abstracted from Jesus, as if the wood had some power of its own. Other things, wonderful things, vital concepts, beautiful discoveries, so easily edged Jesus aside. Precious theological concepts concepts meant to describe him. And his work get treated as things in their own right. He becomes just another brick in the wall. But the center, the cornerstone, the jewel in the crown of Christianity is not an idea, a system, or a thing, or even our testimony. It's not even the gospel as such. It is Jesus Christ. The news is about Jesus Christ. The gospel is about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, I want to list some, I think I have four concluding applications. And uh, I I, I just want to tell you that, that thinking about that text and its implications um, freed many of my seminary students this, this summer. And they said, you know, even within a week of class, they said, I found myself able to talk about Jesus rather than reach for the track, which I couldn't quite get the muster to do because it didn't fit. But I can tell you about... Jesus, like, who he was to me this morning. And uh, so, um, I hope for similar effect. Concluding applications. Uh, number one, I, I want to say, memorize the gospel. Or I should say, memorize a gospel summary. And admit that it's a summary of the gospel. You know, I, I, I don't really mean to be slamming the four spiritual laws because they have a, a function and a use or, or other gospel summaries. Um, some of the thematic gospel summaries I'll mention, and, and maybe these will be helpful for you to, to keep in mind or to jot down. Basic gospel summary. God, man, Christ response. In fact, if you, if you memorize it like that, it's flexible enough to, to, to choose what you're going to mention about God. I mean, typically it comes out like this. God created everyone. God, man, Man sinned and rebelled against God. I'm giving you the shortest version I can. Christ. Christ died for our sins uh, and in order to reconcile us with this God that we've sinned against. Uh, number four, response. Believe in Him. And you'll be saved. There's a gospel summary. Pretty portable. Four words. Here's another four-word summary. Uh, and then I'll, I'll give you my own gospel summary, which is not four points at all, but... But uh, here's the other four pointer: creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Again, God created all things in creation. Fall, men fe- uh, human beings fell with Adam and Eve sin. Uh, redemption comes in Christ by His death, His substitutionary death, and uh, restoration. God's going to make all things new and right all the wrongs and gather His people, blood bought people, to Himself. It's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and. And uh, I have found uh, much joy in proclaiming that outline at, uh, what was it, a community service, a, a Palm Sunday service, and seemed to land with a new freshness to, to package it in those movements in history, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Here's my gospel summary. I have a Simple gospel summary. I pulled it together from 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, 1 Peter 3.18. I just jam the two verses together and this is what was, it's just, this is my gospel summary. If you ask me what the gospel is, here's what I'll say. I'll say, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures to bring you to God. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures to bring you to God. Uh, One of the reasons I like it because I, I, I clearly land on the substitutionary death of Christ. And I clearly, make, I make it really clear that, that, that this news is about God bringing you to himself. He, he, reconciling with you. Not merely forgiving your sins, but forgiving your sins in order that you might be reconciled to him. So there's a lot, and then... <laughs> And then you could say, it's, it's kind of a cheap shot that I put in, according to the scriptures, although that's what First Corinthians 15 says. Because then I can talk about everything in my summary. <laughs> Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, to bring you to God. That's the news. Uh, get a gospel summary. That's point number one. That, that, that you just have. You remind yourself of the gospel with that summary. You, you can speak it to other believers to remind them you can bring it to unbelievers. It's the same gospel. It's the same news that encourages us, encourages fellow believers, and that God uses to draw people to himself. It's not a different gospel for unbelievers as for us. It's the same thing. Point number two. Realize that the gospel cannot be fully simplified. Uh, it's too rich to be captured and packaged in a, in a diagram or in a tract. Uh, Timothy Keller in his book, Center Church, says, there is an irreducible complexity to the gospel. I do not mean that the gospel can't be presented simply and even briefly. Paul himself does so on numerous occasions. The gospel is a clear and a present word. But it is not a simplistic word, he says. That's very true. And it it aligns with unsearchable riches of Christ. I just want to call you to the simple summaries but yet not to the exclusion of the breadth of the unsearchable riches of Christ in your understanding of the gospel. Now number three, commit to the adventure of knowing the unsearchable riches of Christ. Yeah, now this is this is right in line with Paul's prayer that we might know the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the love of God for us in Christ which is beyond. Now, you know, commit to to knowing God through Christ Jesus in new ways, you know. You know how the new ways come. The new ways come to us in the ups and downs of life, when when God moves in to to be our to be all that He is for us in our in our in the loss of our job or in our parenting challenges or in in our health issues or when when uh, uh, we we need a, a word of grace to someone else and God God says tell them that this is who I am I mean that's where the the breadth the the riches come to play in the ups and downs of life in the fabric of our lives And, and we meet God over and over again or actually he meets us with his help and his mercy and his grace so it's in those contexts that I'll get more specific now that God's Forgiveness moves in with new reality and our acceptance as his very own children secured by the blood of Christ. And when his fatherly love overwhelms us and it's when he, he comes to us in our lives when we're despairing with an overwhelming sense of hope. He's, he's got this. You're going to be okay in Christ Jesus. Your future's bright, and He gives us help in our in our in our uh, um, impossibilities. You know our our troubles that seem so overwhelming. When He gives us peace in our anxieties, when when He stabilizes us in our in our transitions of life, job, or marriages, or whatever. When He helps us in our marriage, when He comes and stabilizes our, our fears about finances and, and on and on and on. Uh, commit to the adventure of knowing the unsearchable riches of Christ in your lives. See this Jesus who has, who is has all the glory of God in his person as he ministers to you, uh, receive it in all these facets. Okay. Now, let me go one more step. Uh, and I found with the students that they found it easier. Well, at least I found it easier to know that they were thinking about the glories of Christ and the promises of the gospel when they had the opportunity to speak the gospel to others. I found it easier to see and to measure because they, they would come out their mouths. I, I can't get in their heart to hear, hear what they're saying to themselves. But... We practice speaking the gospel to each other. And we did some little uh, role plays of speaking the gospel to unbelievers. So let me, actually, these aren't role plays. These are these are true things I'm about to say. But let me set that up here now. So, fourth point. Speak the gospel creatively, intelligibly to other people, uh, especially unbelievers. You know, I think somehow... Our, our belief in the... I mean, our, 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 our rock-solid biblical conviction that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ has made us to think that if we just speak the gospel words or speak a gospel summary that whether somebody understands it or not, they're going to become Christians. Kind of like abracadabra. Like, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Right. You know, like, abric- you didn't understand a word I said, but by the grace of God, I help you become a Christian. And, and it, it totally denies the, the New Testament picture of Paul going into a town and reasoning and arguing uh, about the gospel and about Jesus with, with people. And then it, it totally undercuts, well, just think about Jesus. Jesus never speaks the gospel in the same way. He never reveals himself in the same way to anybody. I mean, he's always changing metaphors. Uh, for instance... To the woman at the well, what's he say? He says, um, I have living water that you don't know anything about. Ask and, and I'll give it to you. He's talking about himself. How about to the hungry? I am the living bread. How about at the Passover meal? This is the Lord's Supper. Um, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I am a cup. And bread, To the blind, I'm the light of the world. At the death of Lazarus, he says, well, this happened that the glory of God would be revealed. I'm the resurrection and the life. He didn't say, I'm living water. I mean, he's changing metaphors according to the context in order that people can see his unsearchable riches as it comes to play into our particular moments in our particular lives. Um, Paul is similar. Uh, Jonathan Dotson did did us a a service in in cataloging uh, five metaphors that the Apostle Paul uses in communicating the gospel. This is not one metaphor, it's five metaphors. Uh, There's a legal metaphor talks about our being justified by faith. Justified, declared not guilty. It's great for prison ministry contexts. There's a slavery image. We have redemption. to slavery word. Through the blood of Christ. He has bought us back from slavery. Bondage to sin, bondage to Satan. He has redeemed us. There are times to talk about salvation as redemption. And save for later justification. Likewise, the familial metaphor that we are, we are, uh, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. All over the New Testament, all over the teaching of Jesus, the reality of, of the, the implications of the gospel is God is our Father by the death of Christ. Uh, uh, life and death metaphors uh, that uh, the gospel summarizes as eternal life. You know, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. There's a, there's a life metaphor that Paul uses that's distinct from the justification metaphor. And then one more. Union with Christ. This is... Uh, this is the, the beauty of the union between Christ and his church being like a marriage. And then all the teaching on, on uh, the fact that we are in Christ. All the union teaching and all of its rich meaning. That we are in Christ and, and thereby saved. So those are the five metaphors that, that uh, Dodson lays out. Uh, let, me, let me go one more step now. And I'll give you some illustrations from my own speaking of the gospel and then we'll close. Um, this one just came to me just uh, as, as I was looking at the, um, the familial uh, metaphor. No, 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 excuse me. The, the union with Christ, the marriage metaphor. Uh, I, I, I was communicating through email with a woman who is in a very difficult marriage and it's apparently coming apart right now. And um, this is last Thursday, and um, what what did I say? It's a total mess. It's 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 uh, our our domestic abuse team is working on it. What do I say to her? One of the things I said to her is I reminded her of the reality of the gospel in its in its uh, marriage sense. That was my phrase here, in the marriage metaphor. That in the new covenant, God makes this promise. I will betroth you to me forever. You don't betroth this. I will marry you forever. It doesn't. Your husband may leave. Maybe broken relationships all around. You may be totally feeling alone. But know that God hasn't le- left you there is a marriage between you and Christ that remains. And it's yours by the death of Christ. I just went to the, the treasures. I just went to the unsearchable riches. And pulled out a gospel reality to speak to her. Here's another one. Um, here's two in, in, with unbelievers. My, um, my uncle was dying of cancer. Uh, and... Um, I don't know why this happens. This happens to us pastoral people that all of a sudden we become the family pastor. You know, like the family. So, so they're going, to hey, let's have Kenny go visit. You know what I mean? And we're not that close. We weren't that close at all. But, but I go see him like a pastoral visit. And um, I honestly don't exactly know what I'm going to do with him. We're going to just talk and see how it goes. He's been an unbeliever all his life and kind of a scoundrel in various ways. And, and um... Because he had cancer, I went to John 11, and I read the account of of Jesus and Lazarus, or I should say Jesus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and three times in the beginning of the account, it says, Jesus loved them, he loved them, he loved them. You know, Lazarus is about to die, and it's really clear Jesus loves these people. So I struck the note of the love of Christ, And and then I continued reading, and and uh, you can read this for yourself, but, but Jesus is talking to one of those ladies, Mary or Martha, one of the sisters, and he says, uh, uh, she says, Lord, if you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. You're too late, Jesus. And, and he responds with, remember what he responds with, he responds with, um, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then Jesus says, do you believe this? I'm telling you, this was not planned. But I just stopped right there. And I said to my uncle, do you believe this? Jesus? And there was time to talk about more of God, man, Christ. Wasn't packaged at all. And then I preached that at his funeral, and I told the story of the conversation that he and I had. There's, there's, well, I'll give you one more. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy this, this account, this total providence of God. I was on an airplane, flying from Ethiopia uh, back to the U.S., and the plane stopped in in um, in Sudan, and uh, and a woman in her late twenties got on, and she. She sat down and we just started talking on the way to, to Amsterdam before coming to the U.S. And um, <laughs> I explained to her that we were returning from a, a trip to, to Ethiopia where we were involved in orphan care. And she said, oh, we, we, don't, we don't care for orphans. We don't, in our culture, we don't, we put them out. And um, so she was, she was kind of drawn to what we were doing, kind of almost feeling like, there's something missing in her culture, in lack of care for for children without parents, and um, and then somehow or other we got into we we have an adopted daughter. My wife and I have adopted a, a daughter, and uh, and again she thought, wow, this is really this is really something. And why do you do that? Well, adoption metaphor. Well, God did it for me. He, he adopted us by the work of Christ and has put his spirit in us that we might cry, Abba, Father, because we really are now his children by his grace and by the, the gospel, by the work of Christ. And, and, um, <laughs> and then she said, well, I don't know if it was right then, before we got off the plane, she said, would you adopt me? <laughs> Twenty-seven-year-old. Uh, well, no, I said, <laughs> but God will. God will. By His grace to us in Christ. I mean, so you, you, I hope you comprehend the call that I am putting before you. <laughs> Live, enjoying the unsearchable riches of God for us in Christ. Embrace the great adventure. His mercies are new every morning. And the treasure of Christ is new every morning. Just take it in. And and therein, and thereby, have something to say to other believers at small group. And to unbelievers, as uh, God puts you in there in relationship with them and you hear their stories and you say, well, you know, God comes in at that very place that you are with a mercy and a grace by the work of Christ. Let me tell you about it. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thanks for the time together. Thanks for your word. Thanks for the unsearchable riches of Christ and I pray that uh, you meet us in the journey day in and day out with new glimpses of your glory, new tastes of your love for us in Christ, that both feed our soul and preserve our faith, as well as enable us to to do the same to other believers and to speak the gospel to others in meaningful and helpful ways. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.